Welcome to the Gospel for Life. We have four Treasure Valley pastors committed to showing that the gospel is not just for that religious part of your life, but rather it's for all of life. You never graduate from the gospel. I'm Josh Bales, pastor of the Well Church, here with Russell Herman, pastor at Cloverdale United Reformed Church, Phil Moran, pastor at Christ Presbyterian Church, and Jonathan Van Hoogen, pastor at Spring United Reformed Church. Now, if you'd like to find out more about us or catch past broadcasts or get information about our annual conference, you can find us at ReformationVoice.com. All right, special edition on the broadcast today. We had Dr. Robert Godfrey, one of our conference speakers, come and speak at our joint service along with Cloverdale uh, this uh, last Lord's Day. And so we have taken his message and split it up for your enjoyment. We hope it blesses you and we hope it helps you to see God's glory in a greater way. Uh, Psalm 92 I've chosen because uh, it contains an echo of the very origin of most of the psalms uh, in the Psalter, namely, echoing back uh, to David's experience that set in motion most of the praise in the history of Israel. Uh, David was known as the sweet singer of Israel, wasn't he? Uh, David was a man of war. David was a man of God. Uh, David could be a man of sin, but... David was a poet and a singer, and he brought music into the heart and life of Israel, and the great moment where that happened for Israel was when David arranged for the Ark of the Covenant finally to be brought up to Jerusalem and to establish the Ark of the Covenant there in Jerusalem as the center of the worship of God's people and arranged for the tabernacle, tabernacle to be built there, and eventually, of course, under Solomon, the temple to be built there. But on that great day when the, tab- when the uh, Ark of the Covenant was finally brought up to Jerusalem, uh, David had all sorts of activities taking place. A great procession to celebrate the victory of the Lord coming up to Jerusalem, and uh, sacrifices offered before the Lord. But also we read in 1 Corinthians 16, not Corinthians, 1 Chronicles. I'm all right. I'll be all right. Um, 1 Chronicles. In 1 Chronicles, we have recorded that David also set aside some of the Levites, as he wrote, to invoke to thank and to praise the Lord. So David very consciously set Israel in the direction and some of the worship leaders of Israel, some of the Levites, to lead the people in invoking, thanking, and praising the Lord. And then David, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, composed a great psalm for that occasion. And that great psalm is quoted, several parts of it, in different places in the Psalter. But it begins with a call to thanks and to praise. And that call to thanks and praise then echoes through the Psalter in various ways, and we hear it 
right here, don't we, in Psalm 92. It is good to give thanks to the Lord, to sing praises to your name, O Most High, to declare your steadfast love in the morning and your faithfulness by night. Now, that's almost a verse that justifies morning and evening worship, doesn't it, since this is a psalm uh, for the Sabbath. Uh, but I, I don't actually think that's the purpose of verse 2. Uh, the purpose of verse 2 is to say, the whole day is a day of praise and thanksgiving to you. We begin it in the morning praising you. We end it at night uh, praising you. And so, um, if we wanted to use this verse on how many services we ought to have on the Lord's Day, um, it really would not just be two. Um, You know, our ministers tend to be lazy. We really should ask them for three services or four services or five services. Why are we limited to the skimpy number of two? So go talk to your minister. Ask him. I bet he'll be glad. I bet he'll be glad. Um, but, but here is this call that the whole day uh, would be a day of thanks and remembrance and praise uh, to the Lord. And uh, David began this tradition in Israel to, to think about thanking the Lord. And uh, there's great celebration in Israel. There's great celebration for us in this call to thank and praise the Lord. We thank Him for who He is. Uh, He is the God whose character for his people is steadfast love and faithfulness. We have to think of what a blessing, what a joy it is that our God does not change in his character. He's not merciful one day to us and wrathful the next. He's not willing to pardon one day and unwilling to pardon the next. Uh, He is a God whose character is always the same, who always reaches out his arms to us and says, come to me and you'll find mercy. Come to me and you'll find grace to help in time of need. Uh, Come to me because I'm faithful to my covenant. What I have promised to do, I will surely do. And so we want to thank him and praise him for his character, for his covenant faithfulness. And then secondly, we want to praise him and thank him uh, for his great works, Uh, for his great works in creation. We out west, I think, have a special privilege of seeing something of the greatness of creation all around us. And uh, we need to recognize that these things have not just happened. Uh, What a tragedy we live in a time in the west where So many people want to say, well, you know, all the beauty that surrounds us um, just happened. There was no design. There was no purpose. It just happened. Uh, But God has revealed to us that it didn't just happen. He made it. He made it to be glorious. He made it to be revelatory of himself. I was reading recently, uh, and uh, an author wrote... uh, How can anyone look at a rose and not believe in God? And I paused over that and and pondered that, and I I really think that's true. How can you look at the beauty of a rose, the intricacy of of a rose, and not think somebody must have planned that? 
Somebody must have purposed that. Uh, Such beauty in the world uh, must testify to a creator. And we need to thank our God for his great creating work. And then even more, in a sense, we praise him for his saving work, for the way in which he has come to sinners, uh, sinners who have rebelled against him, who have turned against him, and um, sinners who need his forgiveness and his mercy. I think I talked to some of you and talked about a baptism we recently had in our church. Uh, It was the most memorable baptism uh, I've observed in our church. It was a a couple who had been Baptists and had become uh, reformed in their view of baptism. And uh, um, they had three children to be baptized as they joined the church. And one of the children was about eight And uh, somehow they had not gotten the memo. I don't know if you know this, but in a a proper Dutch church, you sit in the front row for baptism, you know, so you're up front. You don't have to walk very far. They were sitting all the way in the back of the church. And uh, so when the minister called them to come forward for the baptism, they started forward, and the eight-year-old began to scream, I don't want to be baptized. I don't want to be baptized. All the way down the the aisle up front. And uh, the family, of course, was very embarrassed. The congregation, of course, was very amused. And um, uh, so uh, this was a a dramatic moment. And uh, somebody said to the father after the service so appropriately, don't think a thing about it. We're all dragged kicking and screaming into the kingdom of God. And that's so true, isn't it? We haven't saved ourselves. We cannot save ourselves. Left to ourselves, we wouldn't want to be saved. But the Lord is good. The Lord is merciful. And that's why we want to thank and uh, praise him. That's why the Psalms uh, help us so much in the call to thank and save him, uh, serve him. And uh, here in uh, Psalm 92, we're, we're reminded that the praise of God in the Old Covenant particularly took place at the temple. And so um, in verse 3, We read that this praise and thanks is to take place to the music of the lute and the harp and the lyre. And uh, when we read the Old Testament carefully, we see that those instruments were used in the temple to accompany the sacrifice of of praise to God. And and clearly Psalm 92 is is drawing our minds back to the temple. And uh, it will say that explicitly later in the Psalm, verse 13 that the righteous are planted in the house of the God, they flourish in the courts of our God. And and it's one of David's way of saying, you know, we long to be in the house of God. We long to be in the place where God is worshipped. We long to be in the place where God is present. And uh, the great blessing of the temple was that God was with his people. And of course, uh, we enjoy the fullness of that now in a way that Israel never understood, didn't we? Because our worship takes place in the heavenly temple. That's what Hebrews 12 tells us. Where do you worship? Maybe it would be a good evangelistic opportunity if somebody says, where do you worship? To say, I worship in the heavenly temple. That might stop them, mightn't it? They might ask, how do I get to the heavenly temple? Well, that would be a good opportunity, wouldn't it, to... uh, talk about the gospel. Uh, We worship in the heavenly temple 
where there's no longer any sacrifice because Jesus, our eternal sacrifice, is there. Do you realize that? Right now, we're in the heavenly temple by faith, not by sight. And right now, then, we're fellowshipping with Jesus and with the holy angels and with the redeemed in glory. We're, we're part of that great church, and we're with Jesus. And uh, that's what this is pointing us to, the great work of God is sending his own Son to be our Savior. And we thank him for that. We rejoice in that. And uh, as David calls us in uh, uh, 1 Chronicles uh, 16, uh, we are led to praise and to thanks by remembering what God has done for us. And lately I've begun to think that maybe the hardest <clears throat> task that God has given us as Christians is to remember what he has done for us. Uh, how forgetful the people of God often are as to what God has done for us. And uh, so often we just are focused, what are you going to do for me now? What have you done for me lately? And uh, the, the beginning of praise, the beginning of thanks, is surely to remember what God has done for us and to fill our minds and our hearts with God's great works in the past because that'll fill our minds and our hearts with confidence in his great work for the future. He who began a good work in us will do what? He'll bring it to completion in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, the works that God begins, he completes. And uh, the works that he began in history of redemption, uh, he'll bring to pass when he returns again in glory. That's our hope, and this is the, the praise to which we're called. That's the inspired praise of the Psalter. Just, just a taste of it. Uh, but how wonderful it is. And then it's not surprising that that inspired gift leads on to a desired gift. You notice that here in Psalm uh, 92, it's beautifully expressed. Verse 4, For you, O Lord, have made me glad by the work of your hands. At the works of your hands, I sing for joy. 